gives a fuck about a pimp? Listen, every pimp in the world gets shot. Two in the back of the fucking head. Cops throw a party, man. As long as you're not at the scene of the crime, smoking gun in your hand, you get away with it. Clarence, I like you. I always have. Always will. Show. My name is Dana, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, a one Mr. Jason Waters. How are you today, sir? <laughs> I'm doing awesome, thanks. Outstanding, outstanding. So, clarify things here. When we decided we were going to do the Tarantino retrospective, I think initially we were just going to do movies that he directed. Right. But there was a couple <laughs> of... So much more. <laughs> there's, there was a couple of factors in play as to why I said, we, well, we need to do, obviously we need to do true romance because right. this is such a important movie, not just because of the movie it is, but because of sort of the history behind the screenplay. You know, it's one of the first screenplays that he wrote, one of the first ones he was able to sell. Yep. And so, you know, without this film, I don't know if we get Reservoir Dogs I think we eventually get these movies, but not in the the, the timetable that they were right. released. This is this is one of the ones that just started to impress. Like I remember reading something about Tony Scott when he first got both Reservoir Dogs and this the scripts. He just went, "Oh my god, I have to make these movies." Yeah, like when you start reading this and you, it starts to hit you that this is something that's just never been done before. And and for the younger listeners out there, all right, let's not like mince words here. Like if Tony Scott says he wants to make one of these movies, they're going to get made because oh, yeah. Tony Scott is 1986 Top Gun, 1987 Beverly Hills Cop 2, 1990 Days of Thunder, which is a more maligned film, but still made a ton of a ton money. A ton of money. So he is, he's one of the hot directors out there. So if yep. he wants to make this movie, it gets made. Right. So that's got to tell you how much this script really impressed him. And, and from what I understand, like, 
there was very little change to to this screenplay. Like it, when you watch the credits, it other says, than some some things, yeah. It, I mean, it stayed pretty true to the, the source. The original screenplay, the original script for True Romance, was not told in a chronological order. You know, which is typical yeah. for Tarantino. But when you listen to the dialogue in this movie, like. Oh, it's Tarantino through and through. In fact, you know, we talk about uh, in the in the Reservoir Dogs, we talk about my best friend's birthday, the the, yeah. the short, well, the feature length film that he attempted to make that there's only, you know, 40 minutes left in it. Like there are swaths of dialogue from my best friend's wedding Pulled that are there. in yeah. this movie. Yeah. Um, this has a written by credit and nothing else yeah. like it's not screenplay by someone else story by someone else it right. is written by quentin tarantino and i think he said that this that christian slater's portrayal of clarence in this is the closest he can approximate to him being in a movie yeah as, as close to autobiographical as he could make yeah yeah and i think i want to start by saying that you know if i was to make a definitive top five favorite movies of all time there is no question that this film like it would be on my top five. Wow! Don't know where. Okay. This came out just at the right time for me. You yeah. know, it came out in '93. I didn't, didn't see it till '94 when I was 16. I saw it on a home video. I remember the ad campaign for this when it came out. No idea it had a Tarantino, you know, affiliation of any kind. Yeah, um, I, I had no idea either. And I remember I got in trouble because um, the first time I watched it was at Dave's video. Oh yeah. And I had no idea there was going to be such uh, violence. And I had that scene on when some customers were in. I was just like, I, I, Is, can't, I can't turn it off. Did you have the Drexel scene or the uh, James Gandolfini scene? The Gandolfini scene. scene. The Gandolfini scene. All right. So I just want to make sure we put this out there right away. Spoilers for True Romance. Um, if you haven't seen the film, we're going to be talking, dissecting several scenes in this movie. Yes. So please, if you haven't seen this film, stop listening to this podcast right now. Watch the film. Yes. It's funny because one of the, one of the, I say kids, I'm in my forties. There's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a guy who's in his twenties that, that I work with. So one of the kids I work with, you know, I was telling him that I'm, he said, you know, what's your next podcast going to be about? And I said, well, it's going to be on true romance. And he goes, well, what's that? I said, well, it's a movie that came out 30 years ago. So it's a 30th anniversary discussion. And I said, it's uh, based on a screenplay written by Quentin Tarantino. And he knows who Quentin Tarantino is. He's right. like, really? I've never heard of this. And I said, <laughs> so many people haven't. I said, here's the thing. Okay. The first 20 minutes of this movie, you're going to think that this is a completely different film from what it turns out to be. Oh, yeah. It is. And then there's going to be a turn. There's <laughs> going to be an inciting incident that's going to happen. And you are on board. Mm -hmm. I want to just start in a little bit reverse order here. Okay. Because nonlinear, nonlinear <laughs> okay. from how we typically do these podcasts. Yep. Okay. So here's the thing. This movie had a 12 and a half million dollar budget. It made 12.4, million dollars. <laughs> yeah. So, so when you, when there's people out there that haven't heard of this movie, that's understandable. Right. It kind of came and went, yeah. which is shocking. Because right then the fugitive was out. I mean, this is this is shocking because this again, for those who haven't seen it, if I told you, Jason, we're going to go see a movie tonight and that movie has in it Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken, Samuel L. Jackson, Michael Rappaport, James Gandolfini, Chris Penn, Saul Rubinek. 
Tom Sizemore. I mean, then the list goes on. If we I said to, we, I, we had Brad Pitt in there, Brad Pitt. If I told if I told you we're <laughs> going to go see a movie with all of these people in, you wouldn't say, "Yeah, what's it about?" Right. You wouldn't say, "I'm in. Let's go. I'm in. Shut up and take my money." There were big names in this movie at the time of its release. Yeah. What went wrong? I I don't know. I I don't know if it's the 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 movie posters showed Christian Slater on the front and. Yes, he was still a bankable actor at that point, but it wasn't the high point of his career. Well, where was he at his career at this point? He had done Pump Up the Volume. He had been in Robin Hood. Uh-huh. Uh, I think Cuffs came out right around this time. But this is when he started getting into his, you know, Robert Downey Jr.-esque yes. escapades. He, he did. And yeah. it you really didn't catch. I mean, I never saw the trailer for this one. I, I I do remember the trailer just because the roller coaster scene is in the trailer. And oh, is I it? Just remember that. But I mean, Bronson Pinchot. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I think it's just the star power that we see today. I mean, this is James Gandolfini pre Sopranos. Oh yeah, this is like this so is audition tape for the Sopranos. Real? I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, because he he's going to have a, a small role. Two years later in 1995's Get Shorty as one of the bodyguards for right. Delroy Lindo. But I'm t- this but, is, I mean, this is when, when yeah. Brad Gray was casting The Sopranos, yeah. I promise you this was the performance that he watched. But, you know, Samuel L. Jackson, he's in it for four minutes, maybe. Oh, four minutes. No, no. I, t- I timed it. You timed it? Minute and a half. Minute and a half. Minute and a half. Um, and says some of the greatest lines ever. Yeah. But even still, at this point, what has he been in Goodfellas and had Jurassic Park come out yet? Jurassic Park's going to come out this year. Hang on just a bit. So later. So, on. so this movie comes out two months after Jurassic Park. Right. All right. So we, you know, we had discussed this and I, I think it, I should, but just, if you didn't recognize the voice, it was so dark in that scene that I don't know if you yeah, pick I mean, up. He's got a him. fedora and sunglasses yeah. on. I mean, you got to know, you got to know. I mean, just want just double check here. Well, I'm well, I'm looking here. Hang on just a second. This is where Samuel L. Jackson is at by this point. OK, he is in an opening vignette in front of Eddie Murphy's raw, the stand up. Okay. He, he's like the crazy uncle that laughs at the little Eddie Murphy's joke. He's got a, he's he's credited as hold up man in coming to America. He's Mr. Senior Love Daddy in do the right thing. OK, <laughs> he is credited and again this is what he's credited as black guy in sea of love <laughs> okay so so do you, re- do you remember sea of love with, with al, pacino? al pacino yeah so he's in that opening scene where they they all these people think they're going to have breakfast with the new york yankees yeah. and it's a big sting but yeah. and he's he has the line says he's black he, he, he's saying fuck that bring on the yankees like that's his <laughs> one line in the movie okay um he's got a he's credited as um Taxi Dispatcher in Betsy's Wedding. He is Blind Dream Man in Exorcist 3. <laughs> he starts getting actual names of characters. He's Stax, Stax in Goodfellas. Goodfellas okay. Yeah. okay. So he's Gator Purify in Jungle Fever. He's Trip in Juice. Okay. <laughs> he's Tat Lawson in Menace to Society. Now, this is where 93 is a big year for him. Okay. Yeah. So here we go. Okay. So 93, Sergeant Wes Luger. In Loaded Weapon 1. So yes. he plays opposite Emilio Estevez. So that's a starring role for him. He's also going to have a starring role opposite Nicolas Cage and Amos and Andrew. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then he is going to be Jurassic Park and then True Romance. And then the following year, it just, it takes off. Like, you know, he does Pulp Fiction and then he's in everything. Then it's just, it just goes from there. Well, and I think it's the same thing too for Gary Oldman. He's coming off of 
Bram Stoker's Dracula. Bram Stoker's Dracula. He had a uh, State he, of Grace. State of Grace. Yeah. <laughs> but before that, he's not a. I mean, he's not a bankable star, and he puts on probably one of the best villain performances ever. 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 And we say that because he puts on that performance because when you look at this quiet, distinguished British actor. Yeah. All right. And he plays this role of Drexel. Like that is putting on a performance oh of a lifetime gosh. right there. Patricia Arquette, her big claim to fame prior to this was starring as Kristen in Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three, <laughs> The Dream Warriors. That was from 1987. So this is six years later. So. Obviously, the big names in here are Val Kilmer, who you never actually you never see. see his face. You never see his face. <laughs> Brad Pitt is not Brad Pitt yet. Yep. No, he's had that role in um, uh, Thelma, and Louise. Thelma and Louise. And I think Legends of the Fall Legends is going to be out kind of next the following year, I think, or right yeah. around there. Uh, Christopher Walken's the big name. Dennis Hopper's Dennis the big Hopper. name. Val Kilmer. But to look at it now, like 30 years later, it's like, ah. Yeah. These guys are amazing. And yeah. Bronson Pinchot, can I just say, like, <laughs> for, like he has the scene in Beverly Hills Cop, okay? All right? <laughs> Serge. Yeah. Okay? Sarge. Which I, I challenge people, the next time you watch Beverly Hills Cop, <laughs> what, when Eddie Murphy walks into the art gallery and meets Serge, watch Eddie Murphy's face. <laughs> you can clearly see he can't keep it together. He's trying not to laugh because they improvise that entire scene. Well, and I remember reading, it was an old Maxim article from Tom Sizemore, and he said that when Bronson Pinchot was on set the first day, they were like doing some, some dry runs, and he read all of his lines as Balky from Perfect Strangers. <laughs> and he's like, he had the crew just cracking up. And he said um, in the scene where he's got a, He's got a wire hidden in his crotch that him playing with it wasn't really scripted. He's like, Tom, Tom Sizemore said, my laughter in that is completely real. Right. He's like, he had me cracking up. I would like to uh, sidebar just for a moment. Uh, there's a new book that came out by Nick DeSemelin. Okay. And it's called The Last Action Heroes, The Triumphs, Flops, and Feuds of Hollywood's Kings of Carnage. Mm. And it, uh, it basically tells the story of Dolph Lundgren, Bruce Willis, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Van Damme, Chuck Norris, Steven Seagal, oh, wow. Stallone, and all them. I'm mentioning this because it's narrated by Bronson Pinchot. Oh, really? Yeah. So I got huh. the audio book and I, uh, I took a, a trip to Tallahassee. I had like a, you know, two and a half hour one way, two and a half hour other way. So I knocked out like five hours of the book. Oh, that's awesome. And he, if you didn't know it was Bronson Pinchot, you would never have known. Really? Like, like I was like, because it says, you know, narrated by Bronson Pinchot. I'm like, that doesn't sound like Bronson Pinchot. <laughs> Where's the Balky I know? <laughs> so, but I say all this because he does three minutes in Beverly Hills Cop. A couple years later, he is doing Perfect Strangers for like six or seven seasons. Yep. So by the time he does the role in True Romance, we all know who he is. So he's actually a very recognizable name in this yeah. film. So, and we've talked about Tony Scott. I mean, what more do you say? I mean, Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop 2. I mean, yeah, I mean, and the critical praise for it, I mean, are just to jump in the Rotten Tomatoes numbers, it's 93 and 93. Like, that's insane. And there's very few people. I think even Roger Ebert gave it four out of four stars. Like, where were people going instead of going to this movie? It comes out in September, which is kind of the like the summer block, quote unquote, the summer movie sort releases over. are over. Yeah. Like Reservoir Dogs came out the year before. Like I am perplexed and I would invite any of our listeners out there that were around back 30 yeah. years ago that maybe are a few years older than Jason and I. Maybe you were in your 20s or, you know, whatever. I need to know why nobody saw this movie. 
I really need to know why. Yeah. So, but talking about the movie, let's just jump into it real quick. All right. So this movie is going to open up with our main character, Clarence Worley. Okay. He's sitting at a bar. It's, it's in Detroit. So another Quentin Tarantino movie that opens at a restaurant or bar. Yeah. He's sitting at a bar. He is, he's, it's, he's clearly had a couple beers. And he is going on about Elvis Presley. You know, he's just talking about how much he loves Elvis Presley. You know, in Jailhouse Rock, he was rockabilly. And, you know, he's just, he, he's, he's having this conversation with clearly a bar fly. Yeah. This, this poor lady, she is, she is so perfectly cast just sitting there. Like she could give a fuck what he is saying, but she's listening. And I think and, until he goes, I, I'd fuck Elvis. Yeah, he goes, you know, I'm not gay. <laughs> I'm not gay. You're not gay, but if I had to fuck a guy, I'd fuck <laughs> Elvis. And she looks over and she goes, I'd fuck Elvis too. <laughs> oh, so we'd both fuck Elvis. And then he's just like, and this is this is all Tarantino because he's just like, so you want to go to the movies with me? And she's like, what are we seeing? And he's like, a Sunny Chiba Sunny triple Chiba. feature. Are they really doing triple features back, you know, 30 years oh, ago sure. in Detroit? I'll, yeah. I'm sure B movies. Yeah. Wow. There's got to be a theater out there that was doing that. So he's just like, he's like Street Fighter, son of Street Fighter, sister of Street Fighter. And she's like, you want to take me to a Kung Fu movie? He's like three Kung yeah. Fu movies. She's like, not my cup of tea. So we're establishing right away. We're establishing he's a pretty smart guy in the sense of he's very, he's very hip. Yeah. He knows his you know, well, here's the other thing I love too is ten years later we get a movie from Tarantino with Sonny Chiba in it. Yeah, no, absolutely. We're yeah, we're ten years removed from uh, ten years before Kill Bill. Yeah, cut to this is this is surreal. I was watching this movie this morning, and I want to like stress, I didn't need to watch this movie today. No, I've owned it. I've always wanted to watch this. I movie. owned it on VHS in '94. I owned it on DVD. Ended up buying it on iTunes today, even though it didn't have it was Sans any extra features and still $15. I know I was bummed out, but we are treated to such a, like, how do I say it? You have the most brutal, like parts of Detroit in the winter time Mm -hmm. with this most eloquent tropical sounding, you know, theme song. So that's, that that is, is such a dichotomy. That is the one thing I did not like about this movie. And I can't remember the, the name of the theme, but it, it pops up in like the end of Finding Forrester. And it's just these lutes playing. And I just found it so out of scene. That's the one thing I did not like about this movie. I, I can tell you that, you know, it was Hans Zimmer mm-hmm. that did the soundtrack for this. If you listen to what we'll just call the true romance theme, the theme, if you yeah. will, it is a direct homage to Terrence Malick's movie, The Badlands. Which had this in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a direct, that is a, no, make no mistake about it, it is an homage to the theme, opening theme of The Badlands. Yeah, what a great movie that was. Yeah, I know. I know. I haven't seen that in shoot 20 years maybe we should cover that as well because it's loosely tied to this we're doing anything we can just not to do the jackie brown episode (laughs) just put that off one more we just keep kicking that uh, in down the road down the road we're we're eventually gonna do that movie but you know we just decided we have to do from dust till dawn yeah uh we have to do maybe rooms four rooms maybe el mariachi and desperado because you know there's you know what anything tarantino's been in before (laughs) so golden uh, girls and you go through this opening theme and it's, it's, it's such a stark contrast. Like the yeah. music, the visuals you're seeing versus the music you're hearing. 
you expect to see crashing waves on the beach and swaying palm trees with this music. And I thought it was really interesting. And then you get the uh, the VO, the voiceover from Patricia Arquette. And she's like, yeah. I had to go all the way from the byways and highways of Tallahassee, Florida. And I'm like, I was just I, there. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Exactly. <laughs> Lots of hills in Tallahassee. So she's talking about, you know, she had all the way to Detroit to find her true love. And if you would have told me in a million years that true romance would be popular and possible in Detroit, you know. But I mean, it it also I mean still mirrors the Badlands with that voiceover from yeah. Sissy Spacek. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just it's yeah, it's wonderful. We're, we're calling it homage, right? Homage, we're we're yeah. homaging this mm-hmm. big time, right? We see Patricia Arquette get off, get out of a taxi into the Sunny Chiba triple feature. I love this movie. I want to go to a movie theater like this, <laughs> this rundown place it, where there's homeless guys just sleeping like, a couple rows yeah, back. Af- it looks like after the triple feature, there's like definitely a splooge mop show. Yeah, yeah. So. There's they're they're definitely showing. There's definitely a a twentieth anniversary showing ver, a showing of Deep Throat yeah, after the triple feature. There's a red night or red light special yeah yeah. behind the green door is playing at midnight (laughs) but i just love it because he's got they got like there's two people that are there to actually watch the movie yeah and then a bunch of just homeless guys just sleeping (laughs) she shows up with a bag of popcorn she sees clarence goes over spills her popcorn on him this come to find out you know she was supposed to be there yes so it wasn't it wasn't a happenstance she sits through all three movies with him all right. They're outside of the movie theater, you know, and he's just like, this is crazy. Like you, you're a girl after my own heart. You sat for through three Kung Fu movies with me. Yeah. And then she's like, you know, after I watch a movie, I like to go get pie. Do you want to go get pie with me? Cut to we're in a diner and they're just having this, like, there's a connection. Yeah. There's, there's, there's and sparks. You, I, and that's the one great thing I like about this too, is you can tell on the screen there's chemistry between there, them. No, there is. Because yeah. if there's not chemistry between these two characters, this movie doesn't work. Right. It, it doesn't work. Yeah. And, and, you know, they sit there and the next thing you know, they're, they're, they're going back. Who's your favorite actor? What's your favorite color? Turn on, turns off. He says, do you have a fella? And she's like, ask me that later. <laughs> then, then Clarence is going to take a take. Oh, by the way, her name is Alabama, Alabama, Alabama from Tallahassee, from Tallahassee. <laughs> He's going to take her to his place of work, a comic book store. He's putting on some music. And I love the line where she says, this is cool. Do you make a lot of money doing this? And he's like, well, no, no, not at all. And the boss is cool. He lets us borrow money. Right. So we're just like establishing like this isn't like a movie trope where our, our, our main character's got a super nice apartment, you know, and he's you know, like, you're like, how do you afford all this? Like he's poor. Yeah. And he's barely getting by. Yeah. And, and, and it's his birthday. And it's his birthday. Yeah. And they they end up having, you know, they end up hooking up and he wakes up. She's not in the bed. She's sitting outside of his apartment which is a billboard which is <laughs> and it's freezing out she's smoking a cigarette and she confesses to him right then and there like look I'm, i was supposed to be there i'm a call girl yeah he's like you're a whore no i'm a call girl and there's a difference you know <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and she like goes through this whole thing she's like you're i've only been a call girl for like two days you've been my second client you know and you know and i'm I'm telling you right now like i'm in love with you and if you tell me to go back to drexel and he's like what's drexel what's, well, a, like, drexel? what's a drexel <laughs> put a pin in that yeah we're gonna find out at some point <laughs> so they end up like going through this like immediate like i'm in love with you you're in love with me and she says like if i'm with you i'm totally monogamous and and next thing you know cut to they've gotten married at the courthouse yep getting matching tattoos Miss Worley. Yep. yeah matching tattoos this is interesting because he's like he's asking questions yeah you know you know what did you have a pimp you know drexel what was he like is he was he a nice guy and she's like 
Well, he treated us okay. I wouldn't so go far go so far as to say he was a nice guy. You know, <laughs> like you punched a girl in the stomach yesterday. Yeah, like, you know. And 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 he goes, "Is she black? Is he black?" And he goes, "No, he's he's white, but he claims to have like Cherokee Indian or something." <laughs> and, and and it's just bothering him. <laughs> so they're back. They're back at the apartment. They're watching a kung fu movie, and she's drink drinking a glass of champagne. He goes to the bathroom. This is where we realize Clarence is maybe. Not all his dogs are barking up there because yep. he's in the bathroom. He's having a conversation with none other than Elvis Presley. Yep. Played Voice by Val Kilmer. By Val Kilmer. Which you never see his face. No. Yeah. But this conversation they're having is crazy <laughs> because it's Val Kilmer's like telling, I mean, sure. Elvis Presley's telling him like, how can you live with yourself? You know? Yeah. Letting yeah. this guy walk the same, breathe the same air as you walk the earth. You get in trouble for shooting pimps. Yeah. He goes, I'd kill him. <laughs> And he's like, uh, and he's like, oh, he goes, I, I can't kill him. And, you know, he's like, no, killing's the easy part. Yeah. You know, no, killing's the hard part. Get, hard part. Getting get away, away with it's the easy yeah. part. You think cop gives a fuck about a two bit <laughs> fucking pimp? No, they fucking, they'll have a celebration. <laughs> Got to put him down like a dog. <laughs> like, and, good God. I'm like, this is, this movie's taking a turn. Yeah. So he comes back and he tells Alabama, look, I need your address. I'm going to get your stuff. I'm going to get your stuff. She's like, no, you can't. Cut to. Drexel. Mm. We're in a little hotel room. Okay. We have to be introduced to Drexel. Yeah, you gotta figure out what he's about first. All right. So for those who that haven't to be seen appropriately the appropriately scared. Those who haven't seen the movie and you're like, I'm not gonna see it, let me just paint this picture. You have Gary Oldman with the same eye he has from Hannibal. Yes. <laughs> you know, so he's he's clearly like lost an eye. Yeah. And he's got scars all over his face and he's got long dreadlocks. <laughs> long like like light brown dreadlocks. And he's speaking in, I, I mean, just the most Detroit dialect. You would never, ever guess he's British. No, ever, never. And for a lot of people, this was their first introduction to him. Yeah. So they, I mean, unless you knew it was Gary Oldman, you'd never know it no. was Gary Oldman. No. This is a little drug deal they got going on at like a little cheap motel. All right. They're arguing. I'm not going to get into what they're what they're debating, <laughs> but they're having a little bit of argument about whether you should do something or not do something. And one guy's like, I would I'd be ashamed to do that. And the other one's like Samuel L. Jackson's like, oh, I eat everything. I'll eat anything <laughs> this is as far as I'm going with that. OK. And Drexel, he just like the one guy's like getting a little pissy with uh, Drexel. And Drexel's like, oh, I'm just fucking with you, man. Let me let me show what you mean with a little dem demonstration. Give me the he tells him to pass him the shotgun. And he's like, nah, pretend you're that fine. Blah, blah, blah. And just just shoots everybody. Yeah. And it's like, oh, oh. And then there's like a suitcase full of cocaine. And like, oh, it's like that. Oh, that's the first like violence in yeah. the movie. It's And it's hard, too. It's like a hard violence. Like yeah. buy Samuel L. Jackson in the movie for a minute, 25 seconds. And <laughs> Clarence pulls up. We're in like this. I don't even know what part of Detroit we're uh, upstairs of a strip club, possibly like, I mean, it is this. I remember watching this this morning, like he is pulling up. <laughs> this is like a three story building. Okay. And there are red lights <laughs> in the windows and there are prostitutes outside just dancing. And you hear one of them. Cause I was watching this with my AirPods in so I could really hear the dialogue. And a car drives by and you hear one of the prostitutes, hey, you need a date, daddy? Like you like <laughs> so this is a this is a, a brothel, a whorehouse, or whatever you want to call it. And I'm like, this is in such a sketchy part of the city that you're just operating with if you oh, yeah. with immunity. Like the cops aren't even coming over there yeah. and messing around. He walks up with the, the sunglasses, that <laughs> shot of him through the peephole, the techno music jam. And this is, by the way, as someone who was a DJ for many years, like this is this is early on, yeah. like 
94 is still EDM. EDM's not, not there. Has yet. not exploded around <laughs> around the world the way it is. So guy answers the door, big giant guy. You say he's actually kind of nice. I was thinking, he's like, you need something? He's like, yeah, Drexel. Are you Drexel? He goes, no, I'm Marty. Let me see Drexel. And this is just, <laughs> I mean. This this whole scene is so tense um, from knocking on the door after you know who he's going to see and what he's capable yeah. of. You're just scared the entire time. You're like, you don't, you don't have the capability to go up against this guy. We haven't, we haven't, we don't know what you're made of yet. We've established that Clarence has a gun. He's yeah. got it. He's got it in his ankle. It's a looks like a three fifty seven snub nose. Like it's a big revolver. Yeah, we've established that he has that, but he is way in over his head here. And Drexel is just sitting there. He's eating Chinese food, <laughs> and Marty just kind of whispers in his ear. He's asking about Alabama, and Drexel's like, "Where the fuck is that bitch?" You know, and he's like, "She's with me. Who the fuck are you?" <laughs> I'm, I'm her husband, and I love that line. He goes, "Well, that makes us practically related." <laughs> And he's like, hey, man, have a sit down. This is the part where I'm always like, why didn't you just sit down? Yeah. Say, hey, man, sit down. I got, I got everything here from a diddle I do to a diddle I Joe to a damned if I know. <laughs> no, no thanks. That's where Clarence messed up. He goes, no thanks. Drexel just sees it. Like, like yeah. he sees that opportunity. It is so tense. When Clarence says, uh, I'm not sitting down because I'm not staying. I'm not eating because I'm not hungry. And I'm not watching the TV because I've seen the movie before. It's the Mac. Max. Yeah. It's the Mac. And I'm not afraid of you. I just don't like you. <laughs> that whole line there. And then he pulls out the envelope. He goes, Alabama's moving on to greener pastures. Puts the envelope down. And there's a little payoff money. What's in that envelope is worth my peace of mind. And my peace of mind's worth that not one penny more. And I'm thinking to myself, how much money is in this envelope? <laughs> and not just that, but that it sounded, I mean, you... What I, you would expect to see from someone else is him practicing that line in the yeah, car. Yeah, you're right. It just comes out that way. It rolls out. It just, I mean, it's just him in the perfect Tarantino dialogue. And it, and the so when Drexel takes a knife, it opens the envelope, and the music just kind of kicks in right at the right time when he opens the envelope to reveal that it's empty. He goes, "It's empty," and you cut back to to Clarence, and he's got a smirk on his face, like he's <laughs> like, "You know what? Fuck you too." And I just like that, and then. This is the part where I want to confess that I tried to show this movie to my parents back when I was like cool. 16 years old. Okay. And we get to this part, right? <laughs> we get to this part. And this is where Drexel takes his food, his tray of food, throws it at Clarence. Fight ensues. My mom's like, I'm out. I'm done. I am done. And shame on you for watching this. <laughs> and my dad's like, my dad's like, oh, I'll probably watch a few more minutes. My mother's like, come on. <laughs> my dad's like, shit. <laughs> uh, my dad because he could i could tell my dad was into this yeah yeah and my mom was like nope nope nope, 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 nope. i'm done so they end up kicking the shit out of clarence <sighs> i remember this drexel gets his wallet and when he gets gotta, when he gets the wallet and he's like go get alabama bring your dumb ass back here uh, oh, that's when i'm like yep no this is done yeah something happens Clarence takes out a gun. He breaks Marty's nose, we should yeah. point out, too. Yeah. And then he takes out a gun, shoots Drexel in the groin, and then, for a lack of a better term, executes him. Yep. Tells one of the girls, get Alabama's things. Get a suitcase. Get Alabama's things. And he says, I just did you the biggest fucking favor of your life. <laughs> <laughs> Grabs the suitcase, goes back, comes in. She's all stressed out, rightfully so. Yeah. He's got a burger, and he's just like, it's my best burger I've ever had in my life. Again with the burgers. Again with the burgers, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I killed him. 
and she's just like, oh my god, I can't believe that. And he gets a he he thinks that she's sad that yeah. he's dead. Yeah, and he he's just like he's like, do you do you love, do him? love him? Do you love him? She's like, no, I think what happened, I think what you did is the most romantic thing ever. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> did I say this is one of my favorite films like, of all time? Where have you been my whole life? This is sadistically. <laughs> so they, uh, she's like, oh, she's so she's so happy to have her clothes back. Open up the suitcase, and it is filled with cocaine, baby. Multiple keys of cocaine. And you're just like, what is happening? We're only 30 minutes into this movie. Yeah. And that's when you just realize, like, okay, so now we're moving on to a completely different line. Like, yeah. Now what happens? So the first 30 minutes of this movie is they've they've met, they've fallen in love. He finds out that she was a call girl. He decides to get her stuff back. He ends up killing her pimp, stealing his cocaine. And we still have an hour and a half left yeah, in this movie. That's the other great thing is the timing on this movie was, I mean, it was a perfect two-hour movie. There's there's nothing, nothing drags in this no. movie. Nothing. Action moves from scene to scene to scene. All right. Now, out of nowhere, <laughs> cut to Los Angeles. We are in a hallway, office hallway, and this lady comes out. It's, it's, it's a casting director's office. And this lady comes out and she's like, Dick Ritchie, Dick Ritchie, <laughs> Michael Rappaport just comes well, I, in. I know a lot of people don't like him. He's one of my favorite he's, actors. He's so great. He's funny. Uh, he's fun. He And he's great in this movie. Yeah. Like he, like he is so good in this film. And we're like, who is this guy? <laughs> like, who is this? And he's auditioning for the new version of TJ Hooker. <laughs> and he gives what you think is a terrible audition. Yeah. And then gone. And I'm like, what was that? <laughs> All right. Clarence in Alabama, they're in a bit of a pickle. They need to figure out what's going on. So Clarence is going to go visit his father, Dennis Hopper, who lives in a little trailer. They haven't seen him in three years. Yep. Dennis Hopper. Yep. So good in this movie. So good. And just, I mean, did you clock him on screen time? Can't be more than 10 minutes. No. Total? No. Yeah. No. So they, they show up and it, it's there's a great line. They come into the his trailer and they're like kind of like firing on all cylinders. And he's just like, hey, 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 hey. Slow it down, man. You just show up. It's eight o'clock in the morning. I'm happy to see it, but slow it down. He sends Alabama to go get some beer, and he's just like, I'm in big trouble. Yeah. And, you know, you find out that Dennis Hopper was a police officer. He's now a security guard. He's like, You still got friends on the force. Can you find out what happened? They go through a little, little back and forth. You know, like, why should I do this for you? And he's like, yeah. Clarence, like, I've never asked you for anything in yeah. your life. Well, but all those times you were a drunk You're a piece and, of shit. And, yeah. And I didn't mom, say anything. I didn't get on your case. Alabama comes back and this is Dennis Hopper's just like he, he, he makes the calls and he's like, all right, listen, here's the deal. All right. They think that, you know, he's got an association with this gangster named Lulu Boyle. They're going to assume Drexel was just, you know, tied up with this guy and he had a falling out and he goes they don't they're not looking for you nothing and we can take we can all breathe a deep sigh of relief and right? at that point you're wondering like he left his driver's license there see I, first time i saw that movie i forgot yeah like i like, forgot how do they not know yeah because mm. yeah. because clearly you're gonna find out in a minute clearly somebody else got there before the police did yep so they say their goodbyes uh, Clarence and Alabama are going to go to California. They give him some information. They're going to go to his friend Dick Ritchie's. Oh, so that's who Michael Rappaport is. So we're going to Dick Ritchie's place in L.A. Bye. Everything's good. True romance theme swells up again. Yep. You know, Dennis Hopper kisses Patricia Arquette. He's like, hey, it tastes like a peach. You know, <laughs> all's good. Everything's fine. And you're Everything, like, oh, everything's moving great. on. Everything's no problems great. whatsoever. Yeah, we get you call. We're getting ready to wrap this puppy up. Yeah, like this has been this has been a good like forty <laughs> minutes. Like yeah. we're good. So you, you get Clarence calling Dick Ritchie, 
All right, this is <laughs> he's on the toilet. He's like, I'm coming to LA. I'm coming to see you. And you know, like, did you get my letter? <laughs> Where's the? I don't want to jump ahead. He goes. I can't even tell you what was in that letter. Smoke, Floyd smoked the second page. <laughs> you hear. Uh, you hear uh, Dick Ritchie just yell out, "Floyd, you used the last of the toilet paper." And you're like, "Who's Floyd?" <laughs> so I love him. We cut back to Dennis Hopper returning from a shift at work. Walks into his trailer. Immediately, gun in his face. Gets punched. He's on the chair. This is probably the most memorable scene of the movie. The Sicilian scene. So we got to spend a little time talking about this. Okay. And just to set it up, so you have Christopher Walken. He comes in. He says he's counsel for Blue Lou Boyle. You know, and he's just, he explains what they're doing here. He's like, you know, Blue Lou's associate Drexel. He's kind of worked for him in a courier capacity. And your son came in there, gun, guns blazing, made sure that nobody was left. Snatched by narcotics is the word he used. <laughs> And uh, he goes, but, uh, you know, your son, fuckhead that he is, <laughs> left his driver's license behind. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> so how do we break down this scene? Because it's it's clearly the most it's. So here's what I think. But it's one that, like, I can't play this scene. No, no, you can't. I, I can't. Yeah, um, not without bleeping out, what, 20 N-words? Yeah. So I'll tell you, if, if this was a Tarantino movie, I think this would have been the, the opening. Yeah. Um, to, to have you then go, who the hell is Dennis Hopper? What the hell is going on? Yeah. You've got um, Christopher Walken interrogating Dennis Hopper about where's your son? And he's like, I don't know. Oh, wait. No, I do know. He was here. They're going on their honeymoon. He, I didn't ask where. They didn't say. Every time that Christopher Walken thinks that Dennis Hopper is lying to him. He hurts him. Mm-hmm. So at first time he punches him in the nose and I gives him a, gives him a towel, yep. a rag, and then has Gandolfini cut his hand and again, gives him a rag. Like they're always about give him yeah. a towel. Yeah. So, and Christopher Walken is just cool as a cucumber. He doesn't oh. lose. So Dennis Hopper goes into the Sicilian speech. Well, because, because Christopher Walken says, um, he basically says, look, I'm Sicilian. My father was Sicilian. The Sicilians are are the great liars of the world, and because we're such tells. Yeah, yeah, because we're liars, the you men give off so many tells, women give off so many tells, and it's better than a lie detector. So basically, Walken's telling him like, "I know you're full of shit. Mm-hmm. I know you're full of shit, and I can tell. This is why I can tell you're full of shit. And this is yeah. And Dennis, I think at this point, Dennis Hopper realizes I'm not getting out of this room alive. He offers him a cigarette at the beginning. He turns it down. And then right before he goes into this story about the history of Sicily, he asks for a cigarette. Yeah. Because and I he, love that fact that like, you need a lighter. And you're like, no, no, I got a lighter. Yeah. I got a lighter. Don't worry. Tells him a story that they all, la- they all have a laugh about it. Yeah. They all like, they're just laughing back and forth, but it's, it's tragic because you can see it in Dennis Hopper's face. Like he knows he's dead. Yep. And he's at this point, he's not going to give his son up and it's going to cost him his life. Even if he did give his son up, it's still going to yeah. cost him his life. And it's such a he, powerful scene. He proceeds to tell these Sicilians that they are not Italians. They're actually black people that bred Moors that bred with Italians. Yeah. And that's why Sicilians used to have blonde hair and blue eyes. And now all they have is dark hair and dark eyes. Yeah. And Christopher Walken, he, you would think you would see some kind of, you know, emotion in him, anger, but he's just laughing along. And he seems to be like surprised. And he's like, oh, oh okay. really? Oh, really? Yeah. And then Dennis Hopper says, you know, 
so if that's a fact, tell me, am I lying? <laughs> and and you see walk and go, no. And he stands up and he's like, kisses him, gives him the kiss of death on the cheek. And, and then shoots him in the face. And then shoots him in the face and yep. says, I haven't killed anybody since 1984. <laughs> and he goes, go, go to Clarence's apartment, go back there. Tell me, bring me back something that tells me where they are. I'm not to look any further than the fridge. Yep. Because right there it says Clarence. Clarence in L.A. Yeah. Dick Ritchie's phone number. Not the smartest. Not the smartest. So we're at basically the one hour mark of this movie. Mm-hmm. And, and watching this this morning, it was very much like I watched Beverly Hills Cop <laughs> like a week ago just on a whim. Yeah. Because I love that movie. Yeah. And I was like, this is kind of like Beverly Hills Cop. Like a little bit, yeah. You start in Detroit and then you end up in Los Angeles. <laughs> and that's what we're doing here. Yeah. Like we're all of a sudden we get a shot of... Clarence's Cadillac going down a highway. You hear Aerosmith song playing camera pulls back. There's the Capitol records building Hollywood, by the way, the place we're staying when we go to Hollywood is was right there. It was in that oh, shot. It? it was in the, I hotel. Go back and look at that. the hotel was in that shot. So, and this becomes like one hour down one hour to go. And this final hour <laughs> cooks who, I mean, this thing cooks from, yeah. From the meeting with, Bronson Pinchot to yeah. the end of this, it is nonstop. No, it's, and I think it's appropriate they start off with him on a roller coaster. Yeah. Because that's what the rest of the movie is. That is literally like subtext for the rest of the film. Yeah. Like, so we get to Dick Ritchie's house. This is where we're introduced to Floyd, Brad Pitt in, in such an iconic role that he's in barely in the movie, but it's the, so great because few lines he actually does utter. <laughs> like, it's clearly very early in the morning. Like, mm-hmm. you see Dick Ritchie sleeping. He's got like a script on his chest and there's like some knocking on the door and floyd's awake you can see floyd laying on the couch right next to the door and dick gets up and he's like floyd floyd you can't answer the door what's going on he's like hey man i didn't even hear it over the door alabama's like you call for a date and he's like what (laughs) clarence jumps out they're clearly dear friends like they've been friends for a while he drags michael rapaport out in his boxer shorts he goes come on come on and they go to the safari motor lodge motor in by the way still a place we need to check out okay yeah i'm not saying there not saying, not saying that's where we need to get a couple rooms, but it's a place. It's still a place. He says, get the honeymoon suite inside the hotel room. You have, I love this because Michael Rappaport opens up the thing. He's like, holy shit, you got a lot of cocaine. Takes a knife, goes in there, snorts some. By the way, I'm no expert on cocaine, but they keep saying this is uncut. uncut? Like, oh. like that little bump he took, he's going to be zip zapping all over the damn wall, all over the damn room for the next four hours. Yeah. So. Michael Rappaport. The, the reason why Clarence is, is meeting with Dick Ritchie is because Clarence is a smart guy. Mm-hmm. He knows he's sitting on about a half a million dollars worth of cocaine, and he wants to sell it for $200,000 in one sale. Dick Ritchie, you're an actor. You you can, you can know these Hollywood big shots. He's like, I don't know these people. And more importantly, <laughs> they don't know. And he goes, I don't know them. You don't know them. And more importantly, they don't know us. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, come on, you must know somebody. Somebody, because I just want to sell this and be gone, and we're going to spend the rest of our lives spending. And he goes, well, I know this one guy, Elliot Blitzer. You know, he's in my acting class. He works for Lee Donowitz, you know, big hotshot movie producer. Let's set up a meeting, Alabama. He, Clarence looks at Alabama and says, where do you want to have a meeting at? She sees a roller coaster on the <laughs> TV. She's like, roller coasters? Roller coasters. <laughs> and they go to, I, I, clearly, it's like, I guess there's a Six Flags yeah. there. This is great. 
Bronson Pinch show is so good in this. Yeah, and it, his face on the roller coaster, I think that's probably exactly how my face looks when I am forced to ride a oh, roller coaster. Oh, do you not do roller coasters? No. Oh, listen. Uh-uh. No, listen. Nope. I am front row. I'm uh, Clarence. I'm nope. The way yeah. Clarence is loving yeah. that, that's me. Like, I am a, a roller coaster junkie. And don't get me wrong. I'm an adrenaline junkie. I love, I you know, anything that gets your my heart racing, I'm in for. It's the, what do you call it? The inner ear equilibrium oh okay all right it, just, it screws with my head and i'll get off of that and i'll have a headache for like an hour oh see okay i didn't realize it was like that like so i thought you maybe like scared oh no hell no no because i love that shit yeah so you know at this point bronson pinchot elliot you know he's trying to be like all coy he's like so you've got uh five hundred thousand dollars worth of cola that you're unloading for two hundred thousand dollars and, <laughs> and clarence is just like you want an animal cracker? <laughs> he pulls one out. He goes, no, no, save the gorillas. Puts like this little shit like that. That's so Tarantino right there. <laughs> they get on a roller coaster. As the roller coaster is going up the hill, Clarence gives them this bullshit story about how, he goes, Elliot wants to know, where did you get this cocaine? Like, where did you get it? And he's like, listen, I have a friend. He's a cop. He, uh, you know, he oversaw the evidence locker. You know, he grabbed it. He's been sitting on it for a year and a half. He trusts me to unload it. He was my silent partner. Right. He knows that if I get caught, I won't drop the dime on him. And, and so they do the roller coaster. Elliot gets sick. <laughs> Elliot, he gets his boss, Lee Donowitz. So who is Lee Donowitz supposed to be? That's what I was trying to figure out. Is it, is it Oliver Stone? No, I'm telling you right now, it's supposed to be Joel Silver. Because uh, okay. Joel Silver, I think it's supposed to be an amalgamation of Joel Silver and Don Simpson. Okay. Okay, so Don Simpson. I could see that. Famously, Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer, Simpson Bruckheimer, which Tony Scott did three movies for the, for Don Simpson. Yeah. Okay. Was famous like the wild man, like the cocaine guy passed away in 96 of a drug overdose. Like, yeah. so I think it's a combination of Joel Silver and, and um, Don okay. Simpson. I could see that. So they kept talking about the Vietnam, the movie, the coming movie. home in a body bag. Yeah. And I'm like, that's gotta be Oliver Stone, but I yeah, no. So we're introduced to Lee Donowitz driving in his convertible Porsche and, and he speeding, <laughs> speeding. And Ellie gets on the phone. And he's like, um, I'm with that party you wanted to meet. And he's like, why the hell are you talking to me on my phone right now? First of all, he starts with it's Sunday. Why are you calling me on Sunday? I don't see you enough during the week. You've got to bother me on Sunday. I, by the way, Saul Rubinak plays. I kills love it. this character yeah. so much. At one point, I was paying attention. At one point, he's got the phone to his ear. He's got a cigarette in one hand. He's got a bottle of water, and he's trying to steer the car all at the same time. And Clarence gets on the phone with him. He's like, "Listen, they're talking in code." He's like, "I want to open Doctor Shivago, and I yeah. need you to help me distribute and blah blah." And they're just kind of going back and forth. And and Lee says, "All right, you know what? Put Elliot back on the phone. All right, listen." If he say if he is what he says he is, tell him to come by the Beverly Ambassador, three o'clock Wednesday, and hangs up. Now this is where Elliot gets a little coy, he gets a little sneaky, and he goes, "Listen, Beverly Ambassador, if he likes you, he'll do business. If he doesn't, he'll say fuck you. Oh, and by the way, he wants a sample bag, <laughs> which he didn't say anything about a sample bag." <laughs> And that's where he fucked up. So they leave the amusement park, cut to James Gandolfini, shows up at Dick Ritchie's house. Yep. All right. Floyd is in there. And you're like, oh, poor oh, Floyd. You're Floyd's going to gonna get it. Floyd's done. Floyd's going to get it. Comes in. 
And such a cordial conversation between the two of them. And Floyd is baked out of his mind. He's like, you know Clarence in Alabama? And Floyd's like, yes, I do. <laughs> this is Brad Pitt at his best. Absolute best. <laughs> we haven't seen Brad. We've never seen Brad Pitt better than this. Uh, uh, no, maybe, maybe Fight Club, but. Possibly. Uh, yeah. And he's like, do you, know where, do you know where they're staying? He's like, yeah, they're staying at the uh, Safari Hotel Motel. Safari Motor Hotel Inn. <laughs> He's like the Safari Motel Hotel. Yeah, he goes. He goes. Hey, man, you want to stick around? Want to watch some TV? So you want to? You mean give you directions? Like you take a right and, and then just go down that street. Just keep driving. Just keep driving. <laughs> and James Gandolfini's like, no, I'm going to go. You know, I might come back. You know, I'm just like, oh, and he fucking lets him live. <laughs> so now we've got uh, Alabama being dropped off at the Safari Motor Inn. Clarence is going to get some food for them. Alabama walks in and there's Gandolfini sitting in a chair with a shotgun. Ugh. And your heart just drops. You're like, like you're like, okay, he's Christian Slater. Like Clarence is going to forget something and he's going to turn around. Well, they do a wonderful way of like, like Slater being delayed mm. because he gets to this hamburger stand. And he goes like, what's the biggest, baddest burger you got? And he's like, that's a super Diablo cheeseburger. We'll take two of those bad boys. Sees a guy reading a People magazine article with Elvis on the cover. Starts engaging in like a long, what's clearly a long conversation. Like right. they're talking about Elvis. Cut back to Alabama. And he's just like, he's like, Alabama, where's Clarence and where's our Coke? And she's like, um, I don't know Clarence. My name is Sadie. We don't have any Coke, but there's a Pepsi machine right down the hall. <laughs> and uh, look, interest of full disclosure, like. I skip past this scene. It um, it is super hard to watch. It, it really is. Um, it's interesting because the version that I bought on iTunes was the R-rated theatrical version. I have seen the director's cut where this scene goes on for a few minutes longer, Ugh. and frankly, he just he beats the shit out of her. Yeah, mercifully, like just yep. beats her, and she will not give it up. No, she will not no matter what. Like she she is prepared to die to die uh, at this point. And had, did you read that article about the persuader? No. So um Patricia Arquette was saying she's she was having trouble getting into that like what how she needs to act and what she needs to do. And she asked Tony Scott for motivation. So he slapped the shit out of her. Oh, <laughs> you did tell me that. I think in the in our hundred and one, yeah. one of our episodes, I think you did mention that. Yeah. So then, as they're filming, like as they kept going on, she kept asking for the persuader, which is Tony Scott's hand. Wow, and he would have to come over and slap her, and he's like, "It's the most uncomfortable thing I've ever done, but if it helps her, then that's what I go. I'll do it." <laughs> like, Jesus, Jesus. Christ. I mean, if she wasn't getting beat enough on screen. Um, well, apparently William Friedkin was famous for doing that. Like he, really? he was famous for slapping his actors, <laughs> you know, but they didn't ask him to do it. He, <laughs> like he would, Ellen it. Burstyn couldn't get into a, a certain, uh, you know, emotional set. And he walked up and just slapped the shit out of her. And then, you know, so, you know, that was William Friedkin, you know, at some point she grabs like a little Swiss army knife. That's got the cork, a corkscrew on it. And she like, she's been beaten to a pulp yep. and, and he, even he is like. Like he has like a respect for her, like, uh, like how tough she is. Yeah. And he goes on to this little monologue about what it's like to kill people. And he's like, you know, first time I killed somebody, I threw up, you know, second time was a little bit easier. he goes, now I just do it to watch the expression on their face change. Yeah. Like he is, Ugh. he is void yeah. on the inside. You realize there's no compassion there. There's, None there's no like, well, you, you seem to be a nice lady. I'm sorry I did this. Yeah. yeah I'll like, let you go. Yeah. Like there was not a, like, Hey, listen, this will be over soon. Like none of that. Mm -hmm. Like she picks up the, uh, the corkscrew and she's, and he's just like, he's like, you know what? 
you've earned the right, stick it in me. Like, you know, he, yeah. he unbuttons his shirt a little bit. He's like, come on, stick it in me. And she jams it into his foot and Ugh. all hell breaks loose. And she ends up killing him. Yeah. Grabs the hairspray. The and- lighter, smashes the toilet uh, lid ah. over. I mean, just brutalized. It kills him. Yeah. Clarence shows up. They escape. All right. When uh, Michael Rappaport's like, what happened to you? He's like, playing basketball. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, he got that. She got that like, playing. But, she you know. was playing basketball? So, cut to one of the best scenes in the movie. For some reason, you've got Elliot driving Lee's car, yeah. all right? And it's just him, and he's laughing, and he's zipping. They're on the Pacific Coast Highway, PCH, and, and he is just zipping. He is speeding. Cop car gets behind him. All of a sudden, this lady's head pops up from his lap. You realize that what was going on there? Yeah. And he's just like, he gets pulled over, and he's like freaking out. And it's like. You're thinking not that big of a deal, yeah, like, buddy. You were just speeding. Yeah, yeah shove it down your pants. And he's just like, "Hey, listen, I need you." He pulls out that sample bag of cocaine, which Lee never asked for. <laughs> and he's like, "I need you to put this in your put this in your bra or put this in your panties." I'm not wearing any. Put this in your purse. And she's just like, "No, uh-uh. no." <laughs> and he's like, "He's like, you're the one that wanted to drive fast." <laughs> You know, he's like, and he, and he, he's like, he's like, you fucking whore! After all, everything I've done for you, and she's she. She slaps him, hits the bag of cocaine. He's now covered in cocaine. <laughs> as the officer, as walks. the officer walks over, he just looks over, just smiles, and goes, "Hi." <laughs> Enter Chris Penn, Tom Sizemore, police interrogation room. Fucking great. <laughs> and two two future uh, Tarantino film alums. Oh well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Reservoir Dogs, Res- and then, well, actually, Tom Sizemore was in um, Natural Born Killers too. Yep, yeah, not a. Tarantino, Scagnetti, yeah, Scagnetti on Scagnetti, the name, of, the name of his book. So it'd been great if they had used that name here. I know they're like basically laying into Elliot, and this is an intimidation tactic. It's like, hey, listen, you know, you, you, you were, you were Mister Big Shot until you got caught. Now it's all fun and games until you got caught. He goes, but you know what? And you, we didn't catch you with like a little baggie or a little vial. You know, we caught you. You know, this is pure uncut cocaine. He's like, you're going to jail for like two years, and they start describing what's <laughs> going to happen to him raping when, <laughs> when you're in there. And this is just like a tactic that they're using because it's like, hey, listen, we don't give a fuck about you. Mm-hmm. Where did you get this cocaine? Because this is a lot of cocaine and it is uncut. Tell us where it is. <laughs> Elliot spills the beans. He fucking tells them everything. They come, they come running into their captain's office. And this is a great line when they're talking to the captain. Like, you're not going to believe this story. Seems some cop in some department ripped off this cocaine. They're going to sell it to Lee Donowitz. And they're like, Lee Donowitz, he's a big time movie producer. He made that movie coming home in a bag, body bag. And the captain's like, great fucking movie. Good fucking <laughs> Craig movie. Craig T. Nelson. <laughs> great, great, great fucking movie. And they're like, listen, we don't care, you know, if you got to get internal affairs or the DEA involved, we want credit. We want we want to do this bust. So and Elliot's agreed to wear a wire. Let us do it. And the captain's like, "You got it." <laughs> it's like, "Holy shit, this is all coming together." Are. By the way, I checked the time. Twenty minutes left in the movie. From At the, this point, from, from that scene, <sighs> twenty minutes left in the movie. Like when I say this last hour flies, yeah. it flies. Wow. All right, that's nuts. We see Alabama and Clarence sitting on an old thrown out couch by the airport talking about what they're going to do with the money she's trying to conceal the bruises with makeup they pick up uh they pick up uh dick Ritchie, who by the way phone call ring phone rings he got the part tj hooker (laughs) i got the part 
I got the part. And you're like, oh, he's not gonna make it. Gonna... <laughs> then we get, another, do we get, we get another flashback get... to Floyd? Not flashback, but another shot with Floyd. Yeah, Floyd's just there again. So they make their way to the Beverly Hills Hotel. Cut to we've got the cops giving they've they've put a wire around uh, Bronson Pinchot's uh, genitalia. Genitalia. And they say, Listen, it's, if they're it's the safest place for you. if they're going to search you, no one's going to search you yeah. there. You know, cut to gangsters in a hotel room loading shotguns like just a scene like a, just a quintessential what what i call like an 80s montage of of ammo being loaded into guns yeah. yep. and you're like holy shit there's like four or five of these guys <laughs> loading up shotguns like whoa all right they go to floyd all right floyd's hitting the honey bear the honey bear bong they come in and they're like you know where where are they and he's like the beverly ambassador hotel and, and and he's like hey you guys want to smoke a bowl one guy racks a shotgun <laughs> and they let him, they leave him alone i don't know and as they're walking out he's like condescend me i'll fucking kill you <laughs> you mad <laughs> which and i i read this too that um floyd was the inspiration for the oh god what's his name james franco and pineapple express oh i see that <laughs> yeah he he said you know if because he was a producer on that movie, he's like, if Floyd were to leave the apartment and get chased by gangsters, what would that movie look like? And that's where Pineapple Express came from. Oh, I totally see that. <laughs> good. Hey, nice poll. That's good. I totally, totally see that. So we're all converging on the Beverly Hills Hotel, Beverly Hills Ambassador, the hotel. Elliot's in the lobby. We know what's up. He's clearly acting different from the meeting they had at the amusement park. Yep. Get on the elevator. This is great. I mean, Clarence is, listen, Clarence is a smart guy. Yes. He proves his, well, he, he makes sure that he's not going to get in trouble when he gets up to that room. Yeah. And have but, you ever hit stop on an elevator before? Oh yeah. All the alarms go off. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, no. that's a movie trope. Yeah. Like I've seen well, that in diehard movies. I've seen that. Like it's the same thing as um, like when a fire sprinkler goes off. Hmm. If you let light off a fire sprinkler, that one goes off. Nothing else does. Yeah. And then you see it in every movie, like someone lights one and like the entire place goes up. No, it's that one head. I one time hit the stop, but the lighting changes, like people are immediately like dispatching like a little speaker. Like, are you okay? Are yeah. you alive? Like, so he, he, he hit stop on the elevator and he's like, Elliot, get on your knees. <laughs> like, holy shit. And he's just like, what's waiting for us up there? And the cops are listening in. And, and they're laughing their At asshole. first, yeah, they're like, they're like, I love this fucking Clarence guy. He's fucking crazy. Tom Sizemore is having a, a blast. Oh, yeah. And and you hear Chris Penn's like, he's going to shoot him. And Sizemore's like, he's not going to shoot him. And all of a sudden, Clarence cocks the uh, the hammer. He's going to shoot him. <laughs> and Elliot's just like, I just wish somebody would come and take me away. Take me away. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, and then they get up to the room and oh, this is so like, by the way, from what I understand, like the original script opens like in the hotel. Like oh, really? this, this scene, like it starts and it starts here and you've got Lee. He's got bodyguards with like submachine guns, <laughs> you know, they're like searching everybody in Clarence and, and Clarence is like, no need to search me. You're just going to find this. And the one, one of the bodyguards now, what compelled you to bring that? <laughs> and Clarence is like, well, whatever compelled you to bring the heavy artillery to a business meeting, <laughs> get in there. There's a projector showing like Vietnam helicopters flying dailies. around. This is my dailies. What is it? Um, sequel to body bags. What are we calling it? And he's like, what is June like? And, it's like body bags two bags two. <laughs> so, you know, in this, the cops have said, look to Elliot, you've got to get Clarence and Lee. You got to get them on tape. You got to get Lee saying, 
let's do this, get the money. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that way, and that, that, and then you're free to go. Like you, we got to get this. So, so at this point, you know, the gangsters and the cops are there. So you've got two factions yeah. that are getting ready to meet up. Plus there's two bodyguards and in the room with submachine guns. And their reaction to the cops coming in was, I did not see that 100%. The best. It's the best. So, so Clarence and you know, he's, he's like, I love your movies, blah, blah, blah. And Lee's like, you know, when something seems too good to be true, it's usually because it isn't convince me. Clarence convinces him. You hear uh, Lee say, get the money. And yeah. the cops are like, that's it, let's that's go, it. that's it. And, then, roll. and there's a great line when they're right outside the hotel room door where Tom Sizemore goes, shit, I forgot my vest. <laughs> right? They bust in. Everybody put your fucking hands up, blah, blah. And the two bodyguards are like, fuck you, fuck God. the police. Fuck. They're like, you put your guns yeah. down. It's we like, you can kill every one of you and you know it. Put your, and, and, and fucking poor Lee's like, Boris, shut the fuck up. These are <laughs> cops. We're all going to die. And then there's Michael Rappaport. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and one of the, uh, one of the Boris, the, one of the guys with the, he goes, he goes, there's something I didn't tell you about me, Lee. I hate fucking cops. I know. And you start, I, that's when I realized I'm like, oh shit. Now we have, we've got a serious Mexican standoff happening here. Here comes here, the gangsters. Here comes the gangsters. They break into the room and you're like, what in the world? And by the way, we should mention right before the police break into the room, Clarence goes to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. So he is not in there. In there is, Dick Ritchie, Alabama. Uh, you got Elliot. There's this big standoff. The gangsters, half of them don't even speak English. Yeah. They're all like just, everyone's like, fuck you, put your guns down. And all of a sudden you hear Elliot go, Officer Dimes? Yeah. Officer Dimes? And Officer Dimes like, what? Officer Dimes, um, I, I, this doesn't concern me anymore. And 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 Chris Penn's like, just stay the fuck put, Elliot. And, and Lee looks and he goes. Oh, my God. Yeah. He goes, and he's so good at this. He goes. He goes, how do you, how do you know his name? How does he know your, and before he even finishes it, like he realizes, he's like, yo, son of a bitch. Like, I'll fucking kill you. I, I, I treated you like a son. He goes, he goes, this is the best line. Now remember, all right, the police are in there. Okay. The police are in there. The gangsters are in there. And this is what Lee says to Elliot. You can forget about your acting career. It's over. <laughs> he says, you can take your SAG card and burn it. <laughs> Not, not. I'm probably going to prison for the rest of my life. But forget about your acting career; it's over. <laughs> and he goes, "You stabbed me in the back." He takes the hot coffee and throws it on Elliot. And I never heard this line before, but Chris Plan- or or um, uh, Tom Sizemore goes, "Don't you touch him!" And then starts shooting Lee. Oh, I didn't know. It wasn't until I watched this movie on my iPad with my AirPods where I literally hear the line, "Don't you touch him!" And that's why he shoots him. Wow. Because they kind of like bond it with Elliot, you know? And then this is, I mean, this is just, this whole scene is oh, surreal. Yeah. The feathers from all the pillows flying in oh, the I room. Remember, I remember reading the thing from Tom Sizemore where he was so pissed. He's like, we shot this for like four days. He's like, and I get killed. He's like, I'm one of the first ones that gets killed. Yeah, who gets it bad? He's like, so I'm face down in feathers nearly half the fucking day. <laughs> like, that's got to suck. Oh. So... Lots of people die. Things start to calm down. Uh, this is where cinematographer and Tony Scott just have these beautiful sweeping shots of the room and the yeah. feathers just floating. And Chris Penn and one of his partners, they're, they're hidden behind a couch. And then another guy's behind the couch. 
And the guy's like speaking Italian. And then Chris, how does Chris Penn try to t- translate? He doesn't speak Italian. He's like, hey, you come out from behind the couch. Okay, capiche? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and so the guy throws a shotgun. And he's like, all right, all right, all right. Gets up, pulls the gun out, shoots his partner below his bulletproof oh, vest. He's yep. like, he's fucking son of a bitch shot me. <laughs> he dies. During this whole melee, Clarence walks out of the bathroom and gets shot in the head. At is least, it, is it through the eye? Well, I think it's like, it's like through like the eye and then out, out the, the side, side of the eye. But you don't know that initially. You just see him drop. Yeah. Alabama sees that. She comes freaking out, runs over to him. All right. You got Monty, Boris, the guy who uh, says, I hate fucking cops. And he's just like, I need an ambulance. He's coughing up blood. I need an ambulance. Chris Penn walks over. He's like, shut up. He goes, I'll call you a hearse. This one's for Cody. Shoots him. Alabama grabs Clarence's gun, shoots Chris Penn. Everybody's dead. Everybody's dead. Dick Ritchie had escaped the hotel room, and he runs out. So he's going to get to do his new adventures of TJ Hooker. So (laughs) he's out. By the way, looked at the clock. Five minutes left in this movie. Five minutes left. Five minutes left in the movie. One of the gangsters downstairs in the lobby holding somebody hostage. All the cops are focused on him. Clarence miraculously is still alive. Alabama grabs the money. They go, they sneak out, they get in their car, they drive away, they drive to the Mexico border. Which in Tarantino's script, he doesn't make it. He doesn't make it. And I think, I remember reading a, a, a clip or a quote from him saying, in Tony Scott's version, Clarence should have lived. So I don't know how Tarantino would have done it differently, but he would have definitely killed off Clarence. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that, that's kind of typical for Tarantino. Yeah. You know? So we get a, a, a closing monologue where, you know, Alabama says the famous, you're so cool, you're so cool. And she's like, you know, I wouldn't have done anything different, but maybe I wouldn't have named our son Elvis. And you see <laughs> Christian Slater with an eye patch with a little kid and on the beach and everyone's happy. And it's a happy ending. And yep. then you get the true romance theme, which is appropriate. Now it's finally appropriate. Yeah, we're on yeah. the beach. Everything's good. Yeah. What do you think of this movie overall in the pantheon of, of Tarantino films? Because I, I consider this to be a Tarantino movie, even though he didn't direct it. Oh, it's yeah. If you were to add this to his list, um, it's definitely in the top five. Oh, maybe top three. Easily, easily. And it's such, you know, if you're trying to warm people up, if, if you've got somebody that's never seen a Tarantino film and you're trying to kind of warm them up to getting into Tarantino, this is the movie you want to introduce them to. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a linear storyline. It's told in chronological order. Yep. You're going to get... An idea of what dialogue, you know, dialogue sequences you can expect. The yeah. violence is there. Strong uh, female lead. Strong female lead. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and is this Christian Slater's best movie? Yes. Yeah. Hands down. I, I agree. Even though he may have the worst hair. Yes. Out of any movie he's been in. Yep. This is this is easily his best movie. Yeah. And I think, um, shoot, it's it's got to be up there, too, with Dennis Hopper. Yeah. Um, one of his best performances. Not one of his best movies, but... This, I think Christopher Walken was so perfectly cast as mm-hmm. Vincent Cricardia. Like, yeah. he is, he's really good in this yeah. movie. Like, I, by the way, I want to see that movie. Uh, yeah, I want to yeah. see, I want to see the next one of those. Yeah, I want to see what movie he's in. Yeah. Uh, I want to see a Drexel movie. Yeah. I want to see a movie where Drexel's the bad guy, but he's in it throughout the entire movie. And, like, and now go watch Pineapple Express. Yeah. And, <laughs> and think about that one. That's Floyd's. Uh, sequel everything in this movie was really really good like i loved like i just i I thought chris penn and tom sizemore 
were you talk about chemistry like yeah. they were such believable like partners like uh, like detectives or yeah. there was not a bad performance in this movie no and i mean in in true tarantino fashion it's a it's a caper um, yeah. but it's like three different capers in one movie it's one, and i remember and i was young when i saw this it's 15 16 years old the first time i saw this movie but even back then it's one of those movies where it's like i can't take a break no, I have to know how yeah. this ends. Once, once we get through the Sicilian scene, and you're like, "Oh, this movie means business," <laughs> and we get to L.A., that is the quickest hour of any movie you'll ever watch. I would agree because so much happens so quickly, and it's, but it's not hard. It's easy to follow. Yeah. At the same time, it's the whole thing is very digestible. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, and I think again, you know, one of Hitchcock's themes was um, murder and violence and food and i think that this one i mean this might be another one of those movies where someone is always eating something yeah <laughs> which is like you watch if you watch oceans 11 with brad pitt which he's a great movie yeah he's always eating yeah every scene he's in he's eating he, something he is pretty damn good in that movie yeah he's by the way not to go super off topic oceans 12 overrated underrated um i didn't like the ending i like the dialogue but um it's better than Ocean's Thirteen. Interesting. Yeah, I I kind of like Ocean's Thirteen. I, it was it, I didn't dislike it, but I didn't like Ocean's Eight. No, I didn't like that at all. I wasn't a fan of that. Plus, is Danny dead now? I, yeah, I mean, already fake his death. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Too many questions. That. True Romance was released September tenth, nineteen ninety three. Like I said earlier, it had a budget of twelve point five million. That's crazy, right? Like. This looks like a $50 million movie every day of the week. And yeah. that's not like Tony Scott, by the way, you get whatever budget you want. You're fucking Tony, you're Scott. Tony Scott. Yeah. Box office, 12.6 million. This movie definitely had a second life on home video. Oh, it's got a cult following. There's even a true romance fest once a year out in California. What's interesting though, this is, you ask the, the, a random person on the street, have you heard of Pulp Fiction? 90% of the people are going to say, yep, absolutely. Okay. The other 10% are Amish. <laughs> <laughs> with true romance there is no middle ground there is yes i've heard of it i've seen it i love it or i haven't heard of it at all yeah it's it, there's it's it's black and white yeah i asked four people this morning because i said I'm, I'm on my way to go do a podcast on true romance they're like what is that is that like a new chick flick yeah I'm like mm. it's what? on netflix <laughs> yeah. yeah it's currently number seven yeah on netflix. it's uh sandra bullock and vin diesel yeah um, Ryan Reynolds makes a cameo. Stick around for the post credit scene. He's in there and Gosling's in the second yeah. post credit scene. With the Hulk. Yeah. And Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. <laughs> Extraction three. So, um, well, good. I'm glad we had an opportunity to talk about this film. Yeah. I mean, my biggest criticism is that. Paul what is Rudd your biggest criticism of this film? Is that Paul Rudd wasn't in it. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, this is right. I mean. That's it. That's going to be like the big criticism of every Tarantino film. <laughs> every Tarantino. So Paul Rudd's just not in take, it. Take note, Paul Rudd. Yeah. You need to reach out to QT. So, all right, everybody. Thank you so much. Next up, I suppose it's going to be From Dust Till Dawn. From Dust Till Dawn. From Dust Till Dawn. And then we'll... Uh, four rooms. Four rooms. And then... Um, a break? <laughs> then we'll do... The, what's the one? Desperado? Desperado. Tar Tarantino's <laughs> in that movie, so Desperado. Yeah. Um, um, uh, there's, he did he did a spot as Elvis in the Golden Girls. We'll have to cover that. So, yeah. We're just we're gonna get to that Jackie Brown. <laughs> right now there's one listener out there going, You sons you, of that's, that's just, my favorite 
Tarantino movie of all time. How have you, how you just keep <laughs> wasting my time talking about all these other movies? So, all right, Jason, thank you so much for doing this. All right, thanks. And my name is Dana Buckler, and thank you so much for listening.